time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. Good to be back. This is my first time to speak after seven weeks of uh, recovering from uh, heart surgery. And so, you know, I actually scheduled surgery around desperation because I told them I've got to be back on uh, June, what's the day, 14th? I said, July 14th, I have to be back. So I put the pressure on the surgeon, my doctor. I actually met with my doctor yesterday. And I said, uh, hey, look, I'm really struggling with my voice. In fact, this is going to be the most laid back, uh, <laughs> yelling free sermon you've ever heard at Desperation. So, so I'm in surgery and they put this tube about that long down my throat, you know, to keep me alive during surgery. And so I thought, you know, the biggest uh, concern coming out of surgery was like surviving heart surgery. And so I did that, obviously. Is it obvious to you that I survived? Okay, I just want to make sure. Because it wasn't obvious to a few other people, but I did survive heart surgery. But the problem is they put this tube down my throat for several hours, and when they took it out, it uh, damaged my vocal cords. And so that's been a real blessing to my wife, but uh, I haven't been able to talk for like five weeks without coughing. So here's the deal today. I need you to help me because I'm a little self-conscious today about talking and coughing. So if it, if it appears to you that I'm about to cough up a lung... Here's what I need you to do, all right? I need you to say, helping Jesus real loud, okay? So it makes me feel better, all right? So if I start to cough and it looks like a lung is about to appear, what are you supposed to do? That's, that's pretty, I need more than that. You know, if I'm going to cough up a lung, I'm going to need some help, all right? So if I start coughing in any way, what are you supposed to say? Thank you. It's not going to bother me. It's not going to interrupt the sermon. I need you to help me get through it, all right? You ready for this? All right. Well, it's good to be back. Seriously, you know, I just uh, felt the whole day when, uh, when I woke up this morning, I had something completely different prepared. I'm going to sit too. Is that all right? Can I sit? Since you're sitting. All right. So I want you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter seven. All right. So when I woke up early this morning, I had a completely different topic on my mind when I went to bed. When I woke up, I, I just had this encounter with God this morning for you. I've been thinking about you all morning. I actually was in my office pretty early, I watched all the buses and the vans and the cars pull up. And as you're walking across the parking lot, I was praying for you. I don't know all of you. I know some of you. But I began to pray over you and ask God what he was doing in your heart and in our lives and our minds, our thoughts. And the Lord just took me to this story in Luke chapter 7. And it's the story of John the Baptist. And if there was ever a desperation vow keeper in the Bible, it was John the Baptist. I mean, here's a young man that from early in his mother's womb... God had appointed him, God had commissioned him to be the forerunner, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, the, the young man who would prepare the way for the return of the Messiah. And it wasn't just the, the return of the Messiah, we're talking about an entire people group, an entire nation had longed for the return of the Messiah for thousands of years and suddenly the time had come for the Messiah, the promised Yeshua, the Messiah to appear on the earth. And God looked down upon the earth and in the mother's womb of in Elizabeth, the womb of his mother, God appointed this young man to be the voice, the one who would prepare the way. Can you imagine the call of God that you would feel on your life if you knew that you were the one, you were the young man who were commissioned by God to prepare the way, not just for some popular preacher, not just for some popular communicator, but for the Messiah, the Son of God. And that was the call on 
the life of John the Baptist. So John the Baptist grows up into this young man, and sure enough, he does everything that God asked him to do. And this is interesting that in the Bible, you don't really find one time in Scripture where John the Baptist was caught in any kind of sin. There's not one time in the Bible that John the Baptist was ever, you know, rebuked by God for being disobedient. You know, if you read the the life of King David, there were times when King David was caught. He murdered a man. He was caught in adultery. He was a lousy father. He had to repent before the whole nation. There were times when David was caught in all these awful sins. That's not true about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was righteous. He was pure. He was called by God. He was said yes to God. He was never disobedient. Yet in Luke chapter 7, we hear him, he ends up in prison. Now now remember this, John the Baptist was not sinless, we know that. Only Christ, only Jesus was sinless. But John the Baptist does everything that God asked him to do, only to end up in prison awaiting his execution. Let me ask you a question this morning. I want you to put yourself in this story. I want you to put yourself in this picture this morning. What if you had come to every desperation during your high school years, and at the end of every desperation, you sincerely cried out to God, saying, my life belongs to you. You went back to your local church, you went back to your local high school, and you lived for God sincerely. You devoted yourself to God. You did everything you knew to do for God. You wanted to be right with God, only to end up in prison, awaiting an execution for something that was... You really never did anything wrong. You know why John the Baptist was in prison? Because he took a stand on marriage. He he confronted the evil King Herod. The evil King Herod had married his brother's wife. And one day John the Baptist had a chance to talk to him and said, Look, you need to repent. You need to turn away from your sin because you're living in a a wrong marriage. You shouldn't be married to your brother's wife. And because Herod was such an evil ruler, he was a, a diabolical, evil ruler. He decided to put John in prison. Now I want you to think for a minute what kind of prison experience John the Baptist was having. If the evil king ruler, Herod, had been the one to put him in prison, can you imagine that he probably said something like this to the guards? Make sure that he gets the worst possible treatment. So here's John the Baptist He's not in the sterile, clean prison systems that we have here in the United States. In fact, I've been in Israel. I've seen these prisons. They're dark. They're wet. Human waste. There's no toilets. You're you're sitting there with food that's three or four days old. It's not a good experience. And yet he had done nothing wrong. He'd only obeyed God. So the title of this message this morning is, it may, may shock you what the title of this message is, but I want to cause you to think this point, I want you to consider that saying yes to Jesus does not always end up as a Disney experience. The title of this message this morning is Disappointed in Jesus. Disappointed in Jesus. Now, I want want us this morning, Pastor David did a brilliant job last night talking about, I watched him online, loved, he's, by the way, Pastor David Perkins is one of my favorite guys to ever hear speak. I love hearing him speak, and I mean that. I mean, I I would actually travel to another town to hear him speak. That's how much I like him. And uh, so last night I loved his story about growing up as a church kid. And 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 in gatherings like this, all of us can put on our church mask. So I want to do something symbolic today, okay? I want you to put your hand in front of your face. 
Because this is a pretty raw, honest message this morning. And so you will, this, this, this message will not impact your heart if you're wearing some kind of church mask. If you're pretending to be something you're not, this message will go right past you. It will, it, it's a waste of your time to be sitting in this room this morning if you're wearing your church mask. So I'm going to do it with you, okay? Gonna, and so we're going to take off our church mask. We're going to get very honest and very raw and very real this morning, okay? We just take it off like this, all right? All the masks are off. Now we're just human beings. We're men and women. We're sons and daughters. We're sitting in a room listening to a real honest talk. And at the end of this message this morning, we're all going to honestly evaluate if we've ever been disappointed in God. And I'm going to tell you how to handle it, all right? I'm going to tell you how to deal with being disappointed in Jesus. Pastor David, pastor, all of these pastors that are sitting on the front row, I'm telling you as a leader of a church, I have been disappointed in Jesus many, many times. I've, I've lived out this walk. I've tried to follow God with the best of my life, but there have been numerous times, some, and some recently, where I found myself disappointed in God, that, it, that following God was not producing what I thought it would produce. I'm going to say something that's a bit shocking, but I want you to think about this for a moment. Is it possible that God is not an American? Is it possible that God's not Jewish? I mean, is it, I'm asking you a question. We can talk, you can talk back to me. Is it possible, is it somewhat probable that God is not an American? It is possible, right? Is it possible for us as Americans to make God into an American idea? In other words, we will follow you, God, if at the end of our life we're all living the American dream. God, we will follow you if at the end of our lives we're all healthy, wealthy, and skinny. But is it possible that by following Jesus, is it possible that if you're going to follow Jesus that you might end up in places that are mysterious and risky and even dangerous? Is it possible that by following Jesus, it may cost you everything, including your life? I'm asking you a question. Did you come here expecting the Disney talk this morning is the wrong place? I'm asking you, is it possible that by following Jesus, it might cost you everything? That's why there's a lot of fans of Jesus, but very few followers. That's why there's a lot of admirers of Jesus, but very few followers of Jesus. And so John the Baptist was being confronted with his own disappointment. And so some of his disciples show up at the prison cell and they say, John the Baptist, wow, you used to do some great things, but Jesus has really one-upped you. He's doing some amazing things. So these disciples come to the jail cell to brag on Jesus and listen to what John the Baptist says to them. Let's pick it up in verse 18 of this story. John's disciples told him about all these things, about all the great things that Jesus was doing. And he says, calling two of them, he sent them back to the Lord to ask. Now notice the question here that John the Baptist sends his followers to ask Jesus. He says, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Now think about that. Leave, leave that up here for a minute. John the Baptist Ask two of his, I feel a cough coming on, so get ready, okay? I feel John the Baptist sent two of his followers to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah? Are you the one that we expect, or should we expect someone else? What a fascinating question, huh? So I have two lozenges in my mouth, and I'm drinking hot tea. I'm going to get through this, because I have something important to say, I think. If not, at the end, you can say, Ray, that wasn't important. You should have stayed home. But I'll leave that to you. So John the Baptist asked this question, this perplexing question. 
All right, let's, let's think about John the Baptist's life just for a minute. John the Baptist was in the womb of his mother Elizabeth at home one day. He's in the womb, growing in the womb. And the Virgin Mary, who had just conceived Jesus with the help of the Holy Spirit, walks in the house of the mother Elizabeth. And what happens to John the Baptist in the womb of his mother? He leaps inside the womb of his mother. Even as a baby growing in the womb of his mother, John the Baptist recognized Jesus, the Messiah, coming into the room. John the Baptist and Jesus grew up together. They played on the same baseball team. Jesus hit home runs every time. He, it was obvious. John the Baptist was at the Jordan River one day, baptizing some disciples and followers, people who had began to repent and believe. And Jesus walks up to the river, this baptismal river, and, and John stops everything. John the Baptist points to Jesus and says, here comes a man whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And Jesus steps into the Jordan River. John the Baptist takes Jesus, baptizes him in water, and when Jesus comes up out of the water, what happened? A voice from heaven, a voice from heaven said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. I don't know about you, but if, if the next time you guys have baptisms at your church, if there's a voice from heaven over someone, just pay attention to that person. It, it should be obvious to John the Baptist that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, that Jesus was the chosen one. Instead, he's wrestling with all these questions because it's not turning out the way he thought it would turn out. You see, John the Baptist, there was two predominant thoughts about the Messiah. There were two ideas about who the Messiah would be. One group of people thought that the Messiah would appear as a political ruler, a, a dominant military guy. He would come out of the wilderness, that he would run the Romans out of Israel, that he would establish the biblical boundaries of Israel. And, they, and that they would rule and reign in peace forever and ever. And that's what most people were hoping for. Because remember, at the time of Jesus, the people were slaves to the Roman Empire. And they were all hoping that Jesus would be the strong military ruler who would drive them out. Then there was another group of people who had read the scriptures. And they believed that Jesus would come as a spiritual Messiah. That he would come and turn the hearts of fathers toward their children and children toward their fathers, that there would be a great awakening toward God, that he would be a spiritual Messiah. He wouldn't necessarily drive the Romans away, he wouldn't necessarily rule politically, but he would certainly be a spiritual Messiah that people's hearts would awaken, and that's exactly what Jesus turned out to be. You see, I think John the Baptist had bought into number one. I think John the Baptist was hoping that Jesus would be a political Messiah, and that by this time that John the Baptist would be a governor of his own province, a leader of his own tribe, that he would be a man of importance, a man of influence, a man that everyone admired. Instead, John the Baptist is in a bad prison waiting for somebody to open a door and take off his head. John the Baptist, wrestling with his disappointment in Jesus. So sure enough, these disciples, let's look at the story again, these disciples that John the Baptist sends back to Jesus... They go and ask Jesus the very question that John the Baptist asked them to ask. Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And really, without even answering the question, Jesus tells them something that's very important. Now, 
Jesus is about to loosely quote from Isaiah 61. And I don't expect all of you at 15, 16, and 17 years old to have memorized Isaiah 61. But Isaiah 61 is a pretty important passage of scripture. Because when Jesus came to the earth to announce that he was the Messiah in a church service like this, he called for the Bible, the scrolls, and he opened up the scrolls. And the first thing he read was Isaiah 61. Now, when Jesus is uh, is about to to read back Isaiah 61 to these group of disciples, he's going to leave out one very important passage. He's going to omit one very important promise. I want you to see if you can find it. I want you to pay attention as Jesus is talking back to the disciples. He's sending a message back to John the Baptist. He's telling him to go back and report to John the Baptist. He leaves out one very important promise from Isaiah 61. All right, let's read the story here. Luke 7, verse 21. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. And so he replied to the messengers. All right, now here he's about to quote Isaiah 61 loosely, okay, but he's about to leave out something. The one thing that John the Baptist was hoping to hear from Jesus, Jesus purposely does not say. And he says, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, The dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. What's the one thing that he left out? You know, all those promises in Isaiah 61, the thing that the Messiah would do, he left out one thing. The one thing that John the Baptist was listening, leaning into, hoping to hear Jesus say, Jesus doesn't say it. The release of prisoners, the release of captivity for those who are in prison. That's in Isaiah 61. And it's the one thing that Jesus left out on purpose. You know what message that John the Baptist, Jesus was sending back to John the Baptist? And this is a message for all of us to consider this morning. Here's what Jesus said. Just because you're following me does not mean that I'm always going to come to your rescue. And I want you to think about this. This is the one thing I want you to catch this morning. I'm, I'm here to tell you the truth about following Jesus. If you're going to come to desperation, you're going to hear what it really means to follow him. And we talk, we talk like this among ourselves because we are challenging. We have thousands of people that come in here on Sunday morning. And I, this is the way I talk to my own church. I do, I do believe in the blessings of Jesus. I do believe that, that Jesus wants to bless us. And that there's nothing wrong with living a blessed life. There's nothing wrong with living a life where everything is going well. In fact, I've had long stretches of my life where things are great, where things are wonderful. And I love God as passionately during those good times as I do when I'm going through dark times. But here's the point that I think we need to really consider. Just because we're following Jesus does not mean that he's always going to come to our rescue. John the Baptist was hoping to hear that Jesus was planning a rescue. And John the Baptist heard something completely different. Jesus made it very clear to John the Baptist. I'm not coming to your rescue. You can read the story yourself, but I'm going to tell you the end of it. I don't want to ruin it for you, but John the Baptist did die. One night there was a party. King Herod threw a little party at his house. He'd probably had a little too much to drink. A young girl danced in front of him and... He liked it, and 
He told the young girl, he said, ask for anything up to half of my kingdom. I'm going to give it to you tonight. I'll give you up to half of my kingdom. So she, of course, runs back to her mom and says, mom, the king just said I could have up to half of his kingdom. What should I ask for? I mean, it's like finding a genie bottle on a beach. You know, you've got one wish. What should I ask for? And the mom, here's what the mom said. Ask for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Now think about how evil that is. Of all the things they could have asked for, how about a new house? How about a new chariot? You know, something that, you know, new? Instead, she says, you know what? I don't like John the Baptist. I don't like what he says. I don't like what he stands for. I want his head on a platter. Now think about how far John the Baptist has fallen. You see, John the Baptist, when he was at his best, when he was preaching, when he was communicating to the big crowds like this, John the Baptist would probably hear the whispers that, you know what? John might be the coming Messiah. He might be the Elijah. He was compared to Elijah, the Old Testament great prophet. People thought that John the Baptist was a reincarnation of Elijah. And I think that John the Baptist was hoping for the Elijah funeral. By the way, Elijah had the best funeral in all the Bible. You know how he died? You know what happened with Elijah when he got to the place of death? John the Baptist, he remembers the story. So Elijah goes out into a field. Elisha is already there. You know, the guy, his heir apparent's right there in the field with him. Suddenly, a chariot from heaven comes out of the sky on fire and flies down out of the sky and picks up Elijah and takes him into heaven right in front of Elisha. I think John the Baptist was hoping for the Elijah funeral. How many of you would sign up for that funeral? I've already asked God. I'm going to do it right out here in the parking lot in about 40 years. Okay, so 40 years. You'll just be like 50 at that point, okay? So 40 years from now, I've got it planned already. I'm going to be right out in the parking lot. And by that time, the chariots are going to be much improved. They're going to be turbo. They're going to be great. And one's going to come down out of heaven and pick me up and take me right over the Air Force Academy, up over Pikes Peak and into heaven. That's how I've got it all planned out. Now, how many of you would sign up for that experience at the end? If you knew that the end of your life was going to be like that, you'd charge hell with a water pistol, right? But nobody's going to sign up for the John the Baptist experience. Very few of us in this room are going to sign up for that. The cold, dark prison cell. And then one night, on the whim of some young girl and her her mom, the soldiers arrived. The night that John the Baptist had been dreading was finally here. There he was. And and there's a great little book. It's, It's like maybe 75 pages. It doesn't have any pictures, but it's a very small book. And it's a book written by Gene Edwards a guy that I really recommend to you. And this book is called A Prisoner in a Third Cell. And so Gene Edwards puts himself in the prison cell with John the Baptist. And in the book, they have these fascinating conversations about being disappointed in Jesus, about what's going on in John the Baptist's life. Again, this pure, this wonderful young man who had never done anything wrong against God. So Gene Edwards writes this book, and I want to read this to you. Gene Edwards He says, as the prison cell opens, but today you've met a God you do not understand. And such is the mystery of my sovereignty. Such are my ways in every generation. No man has ever understood me, not fully. No man ever will. I will always be something other 
than what men expect me to be. I will work out my will in ways different from what men foresee. Now listen to this last line. Die, my brother John, in the presence of a God who did not live up to your expectations. Die, my brother John, in the presence of a God who did not live up to your expectations. You see, when Jesus sent the disciples back to tell John the Baptist that he was the Messiah, but he's not coming for your rescue, he said this one sobering thing. Listen to this one scripture in verse 23. He says to the disciples, he said, now go back and tell John the Baptist this one last thing. He says, blessed, blessed is the man. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Let's put that on the screen. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Now think, this is Jesus talking. He said, he said, listen, it's possible, it's possible today that sitting in this room, that some of you have expectations of who God is. You have expectations of what Jesus should be. And somewhere in your life, it might be this year, it might be in your 20s, it might be in your 30s, it might be when your 50s, when all of your dreams have not been realized. But at some point in all of our lives, every one of us in this room will be tempted to walk away from Jesus because of Jesus. Now think about that for a minute. You hear lots of sermons about falling away from Jesus because of sin. You hear lots of sermons about falling away of Jesus because of temptation. I'm telling you this morning, it's possible to fall away from Jesus because of Jesus. It's possible this morning to get so disappointed in God that you had these preconceived ideas about what it means to follow Jesus. And when those things don't come true, when those things don't work out the way they should, you fall away from God because of being disappointed in Jesus. I can tell you 50 stories, 50 times in my life where I thought something should work out the way it should and it turns out it worked out completely opposite. I remember waking up morning after morning after morning in my life being disappointed in Jesus that things were not working out the way I thought they should. You know this story and I don't want to tell this story every year, but the story's still fresh. I came here, I came here from Dallas, Fort Worth from Gateway Church to be the pastor here in August of 2007. And I was the pastor here 100 days. On my 100th day as senior pastor, a gunman came on our campus and murdered two of our girls. And I didn't sign up for that. I remember waking up on Monday morning going, my God, God, what happened? What happened? What happened that, that somebody would come on a campus and want to murder two sweet girls, two girls that sat out there in your crowd in desperation year after year, two girls who had given, had taken the vow, two girls that had just come back on a mission trip from China, two girls who everybody that knew them loved them, who had done no wrong to nobody. They were just martyred. They were murdered. They were taken from us suddenly. I can tell you, not just me, but thousands of new lifers we all woke up on that Monday morning, all of us, if we were all honest, but woke up that morning with a bit of disappointment in our heart, wondering, oh God, where were you? Why did you abandon us? Why didn't you protect us? It's possible, listen, I'm telling you the truth this morning, it's possible to walk away from God 
because of disappointment in Jesus. When Pam and I were this young married couple, we'd been married about 10 years and we were living, anybody here from Amarillo or the Panhandle, West Texas, yeah? I like it. So Pam and I, were, that's where we were living. By the way, I love the people in West Texas. I love them. We had a great time there. But we're from North Louisiana. Anybody here from Louisiana? Yeah, yeah great. Thank you. There's like 10 times more than last year. We're building. <laughs> but if you're from there, it's, it's not Louisiana. It's Louisiana. That's how you say it. So Pam and I had grown up in Louisiana. I've become more refined since I came to Colorado. I'll say it right now. And so we're living out... In West Texas, about a 10-hour drive from our family, our, my, our parents, all our friends, our church that we had grown up in. And God had sent us out there, but we were super lonely, man. We didn't, we, we prayed together as a young couple. God, will do whatever you want us to do out here in Texas, but please send us back to Louisiana. That's where our family is. Our parents live there. All our friends are there. And we were lonely. And when, sure enough, in May of 1998, I got a phone call. I was working in television at the time. I got this phone call from a television station in North Louisiana, and they made me a job offer making more money than I'd ever made in my life. In fact, I remember this little house that Pam and I owned. I was at the kitchen table, and there was a little pad of paper, and I was, I was listening to the guys. He was giving me the offer, telling me the salary, and I'm writing it down, and Pam's watching. Her eyes are all big, and I'm getting all excited. This is an amazing offer. I was going to get to do, have more responsibility than I'd ever had, make more money than I'd ever had, and the good news was we were going to get to move back to Louisiana and live like 30 minutes from our hometown. It was, a, it was the perfect answer to our prayer, we thought. May of 1998. And I remember telling the guy, I said, listen, this is an amazing offer. It's awesome. I'm so thankful that you would love to trust me like this. But I'm a Christ follower. Can you give me 24 hours to pray about this? I'll call you tomorrow. But I already knew in my heart the answer was yes. More money, more responsibility, and go back home. What's not to think? This is God's will, right? It's the perfect will of God. It had to be. So I hung up the phone. I hugged Pam. And went, this is an answer to our prayer. Years of praying to go back home to Louisiana. God has finally done it. I said, Pam, I'm going to go for a walk. And I remember going, come, going out the front door. And I just drove by this house just a few months ago to see the little house again. I remember walking down the steps like this. I walked down the steps and I got to the end of the steps. And this is what God said to me. No! I'm serious. God yelled at me for the first time in my life. He said, no! And I stopped. I said, God, I haven't even started praying yet. <laughs> Apparently, he was listening to the phone call. I said, why, why are you saying it so loud? I mean, can't you just, can't we talk about this? Can we debate it? He went, no. He said, this is what he said. And listen, this is, this is going to ease up. This is going to help some of you. Because some of you, especially if you're a junior and a senior, some of your parents are putting pressure on you right now. To make up your mind about your future. What are you going to do? What school are you going to? What's your career? Can I just tell you, tell you some good news? Your frontal lobe will not fully develop until you're 25 years old. So take the, just take some pressure off of you, okay? You don't have the ability to make all the decisions correctly right now until about 25. You know that's why you cannot rent a car until you're 25 years old? Did you know that's not just some name of age they thought up randomly? They know you're not going to make very good decisions until you're about 25. And if you're a guy, it's probably around 30. 
Can I get an amen from the sisters? All right, thank you. <laughs> Let me tell I'm going to take some pressure off of you today because this is what the Lord said to me. As I'm listening, I'm listening to the Lord. He said, Brady, if you go to Louisiana, I'll bless you because I love you. But if you stay, I have something better for you. Listen, this should encourage you. God's will is not some tightrope that you have to stay on and you have to navigate. If you fall off, you're in some kind of cursed land down below. Listen, you're his son. You're his daughter. He loves you. He's crazy. But we just sang the song. We just sang this song that, oh, how much he loves us. Well, how can you sing that song and believe that God's going to curse you by making some choice at 17 years old? Finding God's will is a super highway. Let me tell you about the good news about finding God's will. He's going to get you to the right spot. No matter if you have the spirit of moron on you or not. He's going to find you. He's going to pursue you. He's going to put you on the right path. You're in the palm of his hand. Ease up on yourself. Quit worrying so much. Just love him. Just trust him. Just follow him every day. You'll find yourself right in the middle of his will if you'll just wake up every morning saying, Oh God, what are you doing today and how can I cooperate with you? Can I tell you the most powerful prayer to pray if you want to be in the center of God's will for the rest of your life? Wake up every morning and say this very simple prayer. Father in heaven, show me what you're doing today and how I can help you. What are you doing today? How can I cooperate with you? Quit asking God to answer all your prayers. Why don't you start answering some of his? Say, God, how can I cooperate with you? What are you doing today? What are you doing at desperation today? And how can I be a part of it? How can I do my part? I can tell you, this is what I've done for 25 years. And I'm right right in the middle of God's will. I, I look back on the last 25 years of my life. I can't look at one time in the last 25 years where I was outside of God's will because I just wake up every day saying, what are you doing, God? I'd sure like to be a part of it. He's looking for a few people that'll say yes to that every day. So I walk back in the house. I mean, I was gone like five minutes. I walk back in the house and Pam goes, I thought you were going for a walk. I said, I did, right to the end of the steps. I said, Pam, the Lord said no. And she goes, what? So now I got God yelling at me and I got Pam yelling at me. And I can't tell the difference a lot of times. I'm serious. Pam's voice sounds like God's voice all the time to me. And so I got Pam yelling at me, God's yelling at me. And so I said to Pam, I said, Pam, I don't know. Here's what the Lord said. If we go, he'll bless us because he loves us. But if we stay, he's got something better. So Pam prayed that afternoon and she told me that night, I'm willing to stay if you are. I said, I am too. Crazy. I can't believe I'm going to call this guy and turn down this job. I can't believe I'm going to do this. But at the next morning, I called the guy. I said, I'm so sorry. My wife and I prayed and we're not supposed to come. We're not supposed to go back. He goes, what? He said, Brady, you're, what are you thinking? You're 31 years old. I'm giving you an opportunity that most 40-year-olds would love to have. What are you talking about? And I said, I'm so, I'm so, so I don't know how to explain it. We prayed and we're not supposed to come. I said, thank you so much. I hung up the phone. 
And then Pam and I went into a serious funk. We had to call our parents and tell them, we're not coming back. We're not coming home. And they're going, why? You just got this job off, right? We had to explain it to all our family, all our friends, all those phone calls. They were all so disappointed in us. And we were disappointed in God. And, and then we began to question whether or not we had really heard God. Maybe we should call the guy back. Maybe we missed it. Maybe I, we'd had bad pizza the night before or something. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that wasn't God yelling at me. Maybe it was Satan yelling at me. I don't know. That was May of 1998. And Pam and I had been married like almost 11 years. And we couldn't have kids. Every doctor we went to told us, you're not going to have kids. And we wanted kids. We were begging for kids. Praying every day for children. May of 1998. So not only were we not able to have kids, now we're not able to go home. And we're just aggravated with God. May, June. And at the end of July, we get this call from a pastor. He said, Brady, there's a woman in our church who knows you and Pam. She's six months pregnant. She's got a little boy in her womb. And she just wants to know if you guys would pray about being the parents. I said, I'll pray about it. Yeah. (laughs) I'll never forget going to that office that day. And there she is sitting in the chair, big baby bump, you know, six months pregnant. She looks at us and says, I was, this is, this is West Texas. All right. So these are, these are real women. She goes, I was mowing my yard (laughs) with a push mower, six months pregnant. And the Lord spoke to me. I said, that had to be God. I mean, it had to be God, right? She said, Brady and Pam are supposed to be the parents. And in October of 1998, we took home this little boy from the hospital. And when I go home later today, Abram, who's 12 now, will be the first one at the door. Wanting to know how I, if I coughed a lot. <laughs> he prayed for me this morning that I wouldn't cough. I haven't coughed yet. It's pretty good. He's, his prayers, his prayers are working. <laughs> Here's a, here's, a, here's a scripture. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Blessed is the woman who does not fall away on account of me. Pam and I, for like seven or eight years, have been praying for a little girl with red curly hair and blue eyes. Two years later, another woman called us, a completely different woman. She was nine months pregnant. She wanted to go back to school. She knew she couldn't raise the baby that was in her womb. Please come and meet with me. We went to the mall, met with her in the food court because that's where she wanted to meet. She had red hair and blue eyes. She had a little girl in her womb. November of 2000, we brought home a little girl with red curly hair and blue eyes. She'll be there today. Give me a big hug on the side. Not in the front because it still hurts. And here's what, she, here's what I'm going to remember today when I come home. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. So let me tell you what you're saying yes to today, okay? You're saying, if you're going to say yes to Jesus, you're saying yes to a great, big adventure. That sometimes it's wonderful and marvelous. Sometimes it feels like Disney. Sometimes it feels like nothing can go wrong. Sometimes it's awesome, amazing. The sun's shining on your face. The storm clouds are gone. That's what some days will feel like. And there'll be other days where you will find yourself in the valley of the shadow of death. 
There will be days when God answers every prayer you pray. And there will be seasons of times where every prayer you pray seems to hit the ceiling and come right back on you. That's what following Jesus means. Can I tell you, if you think, if you think you've got God figured out, you're not worshiping God. You're worshiping your theology. God is marvelous. He's mysterious. He cannot be tamed. He cannot be put in our theological boxes. God, when we get to heaven, the first billion years of heaven will be all of us discovering something new about Jesus every single day. And then after a billion years, when we think we got something figured out about him, this marvelous, awe-inspiring, wonderful God that we serve will show us something new for the next billion years of heaven. He's mysterious. And let me say this, you don't, God does not owe it to you to explain everything to you. He doesn't owe it to me to make everything, doesn't have to explain it all to me. He's God and I'm not. I've tried being God and I'm a lousy God. Try it for a while, it's, it's awful. And you're not going to be good at it either. He's good at it. I want to pray for you this morning, okay? Some of you are sitting here today and you've, you've wondered, you've said yes to Jesus. You really do want to follow Jesus. There's one more quick story because I've, I've, I've never told this really. When I was 15 years old, I was serving God as, as passionately as anybody in this room. I, really, I, went, I was full of God at 15 years old. And I lived in a little town in North Louisiana where everything in the town centered around the high school basketball team. Everything. We didn't have a football team. We had a basketball team. It was every, every little boy grew up wanting to play on that basketball team. At 15, when I went in to get my physical to play on the high school team, the doctor told me that because of my heart condition, I couldn't play. And I was good enough to play. I was good enough to, as good as any of the rest of them. I was skinny and redheaded, but other than that, I, I mean, I was pretty good. I was short but slow. I remember uh, being so disappointed devastated by that news. They told me I could be the manager. Told me I could keep stats. Nothing wrong with that, but I wanted to play. And at 15 years old, I said to God, if you can't heal me, I don't want to serve you. I walked away. And it was until I was 21 that I really repented and came back to Jesus. I had six lost years of following Jesus because I was disappointed in him. I know what it feels like at 15 years old to have expectations of Jesus only to be disappointed. And I think there's some of you sitting today that you want to follow Jesus. But there's things happening around you right now that you can't explain. This, the mysterious nature of God is frustrating you. You want God to explain it all to you, but he's not. You want it all to make sense, but it's not making sense. It's just not making sense. I got good news for you today, all right? Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Can I pray for you? Would you close your eyes and just for a moment let me pray over you? In fact, here's what I want you to do. I want you to to do something kind of of courageous today. This is going to take take some risk on your part. But I I really want to pray over you, and I want you to respond to this. And I, because I feel like I have something to pray over you. I want this prayer to mean something. So across the room right now, if you're disappointed in Jesus, 
It may only be a handful of you. It doesn't matter how many people come forward. I just felt, I felt that by the power of the Holy Spirit, I want to pray over you and settle this in your heart today. And by the way, I think there's some adults here today, and you're sitting here, you may be the youth leader of your group. You might be a parent here, and you say, well, I don't want to get up. I don't want to admit the weakness. Can I tell you something about this generation longs for more than anything else is authenticity. I think there's some adults here today that you've lived for Jesus 20, 30, 40 years, and you have 10 times more disappointment than any of the kids sitting around you, but you're not going to want to respond because you've got to, you know, you've got to carry on the appearance of being the mature leader. Can I tell you something? I just admitted to you, not weeks ago, I was disappointed in Jesus, and I wrestle with this. All of us wrestle with this. Remember, before we started speaking today, I asked you to take off your church mask. Don't put it back on. Don't make me come out there and take it off. I want you to, if you're disappointed, I want you to come down front right now. I want you to get out of your seat. If you're disappointed. You're just asking God to give you faith back, give you hope back. Come on, just, this is the moment where you're being super honest. Maybe the most honest moment of the whole conference for you. But you're being honest with God. I'm I'm disappointed. Let's go with my hand. This is huge. Would you just bow before the Lord this morning? Would you just get like it's only you and Him in this room this morning? I want you to forget about the people to your right and left. It's a big crowd of people, but I want the Holy Spirit to just zone in on you right now. I want you to. This is what Jesus. There are times when I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to say. There are many seasons in my life where I don't know what to do. And I find myself going back to the scriptures, the continuously articulate scriptures. And I find myself just looking at the words of Jesus. So if I'm going to follow him, I've got to learn to trust him. I can't follow Jesus if I don't believe him. I can't follow Jesus if I don't trust him. So I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you believe that blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. I want you to say that to the Lord. Blessed. If you're, if you're a young man, say blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. If you're a young lady, I want you to say blessed is the, the woman, blessed is the girl who does not fall away on account of me. The Father in heaven, the enemy would want to come and to bring doubt and questioning to all of us. Father, at the end of the day, we trust that we're your sons and daughters, that we're in the palm of your hand, that no power of hell and no scheme of man can take us from your hand. Would you just confess that this morning? No power of hell, no scheme of man can take me from his hand. I want you to say this out loud. If you, only if you believe it, I want you to say it if you believe it. I am the sheep of his pasture. He is the shepherd of my soul. I trust him. I'll say that again. I'm, I am the sheep of his pasture. He is the shepherd of my soul. I trust him. Those that might be the three hardest words that some of you will have to say in a long time. What happens when you become disappointed in God is you lose your trust in Him. 
And when you lose trust, you lose hope. You begin to believe that the future is, there's no, no hope about the future. That if you're, gonna be, you're disappointed now, you're going to be disappointed then. So Father, today I pray over these young men and women. I pray today that you would restore hope. I pray today that you would restore trust. I pray today that the kingdom of heaven would come. And Lord, I pray today you would continually fill them with the Holy Spirit. I pray today, Lord, that even though we're not going to have all of our questions answered today, that you would restore our faith, restore our hope, restore us, O oh God. Blessed, blessed is the man. Blessed is the woman who does not fall away on account of me. Thank you for that, Lord. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Even if you don't feel blessed, will you tell him thanks? Even if you don't feel blessed right now, you don't feel blessed. Father, thank you that we're blessed. Father, we're blessed when there's evidence and we're blessed when there's not. We're blessed when the sun's on us and we're blessed in the middle of the storm. Father, we are blessed. We are a peculiar people. We are people that are filled with this unshakable, undeniable joy that cannot be removed from us. Our joy is complete. Father, we're not, we're not happy sometimes, but we're full of joy. This joy unshakable. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We bless you. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life.